Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Low Vision, brought to you by the Council of Citizens with Low Vision International. My name is Dr. Bill Takeshta, and this evening we have a very, very special guest who's going to teach us about low vision occupational therapy. And to introduce our guest is my co-host, Jesse Walensky. Hi there, everyone. This is Jesse. I am so happy to be here for my second episode with Dr. Bill on Let's Talk Low Vision. And like Dr. Bill said, we have a very impressive guest um, who's joining us tonight. I'm very excited to get to chat with her a little bit. We have Dr. Vanessa McCarthy with us tonight, and she has graduated from A.T. Still University four years ago with her post-professional doctorate in occupational therapy. She has been practicing as an occupational therapist for the past 10 years, and then for the past five years, she has specifically been focusing on low vision. Dr. McCarthy is a rehab director in Phoenix, Arizona, and also runs her own mobile private practice called Vision Independent Services of Arizona. The vision for her private practice is to work with people in their natural environment to help them find ways that people can be a little bit more independent with vision loss. And prior to her work as an occupational therapist, Dr. McCarthy worked in the field of finance and actually served her country as a reservist in the United States Marine Corps. So I'm very, very excited to welcome our guest, Dr. Vanessa McCarthy. Welcome. Thank you very much. I've got quite the impressive background, I must say. <laughs> Thank you. Very. <laughs> yes, yes. Now, Dr. McCarthy, would you please tell all of us, uh, most of the people here in the audience are adults who do have low vision or that they are totally blind, and many of them do have low vision optometrists and ophthalmologists, but many have never heard of what is an occupational therapist. So would you explain to everybody what is occupational therapy? I definitely can explain that because, unfortunately, that is what we do on a regular basis because no one knows what occupational therapists do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so the the easiest way to say what an occupational therapist does is we focus on um, meaningful activities and, oh, sorry, my dogs are getting excited. Um <laughs> We focus on, you know, meaningful activities and things that people do every day. So the word occupation doesn't mean a job. It means what you're doing every single day. So it's kind of the job of living. Um, and an occupational therapist focuses on anything that someone needs to do every day to live. And um, so we kind of take the whole person and we look at what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, and how we can keep them independent and participating in activities that are meaningful to them, whether that's being able to take a shower or being able to read um, or being able to take care of a pet or a loved one. We address everything. You know, the first time that I met occupational therapists was when I was in undergraduate at UCLA and I, I saw how they would help people after surgery to help them to learn to stand or to walk or even to uh, 
manipulate utensils to eat again. Mm -hmm. My question is, how did you come to learn about occupational therapy for vision? Because that is really much less common, right? Yes, uh, we are pretty few and far between. And that's one of the other reasons why it's hard to find an occupational therapist that specializes in low vision. Um, I actually got into learning more about how occupational therapy can help um, people with vision impairment when I was working with some, some of my patients that had vision impairment and I wasn't addressing it. And I was having, they were telling me that they were having a hard time seeing the different activities that I was working on with them. My focus for what I was doing then had to, you know, had to do with being able to use their hands better. But then I realized they couldn't see to be able to do what I wanted them to do to help improve their hands. So I had to take that whole person and say, well, what do I do to address this vision problem? Because if they can't see what I'm trying to do, how can they do all these activities they want to be able to do with their hands if they can't see anything? Um, so I started really kind of looking into what else can I do for, for someone with, you know, in the same posi position. And I started, you know, doing a lot of research and I found a company, um, that I used to actually, I ended up working for them, uh, called Centrite. And they helped guide me through how an occupational therapist can, help people with vision impairment. And I just fell in love with the, the field and how even sometimes the smallest changes have made life differences to the people that I've worked with. And I just embraced it. And I also realized that in Arizona where I live, nobody was really doing it. So I said, well, this is, you know, this is what I want to do. I'm going to meet the need that no one else is needing. Um, so I've, I've just been kind of pursuing it ever since. And I learn, I learn something new every day. Wow, that is, that is so perfect. Now, as far as uh, the treatment itself, how does it work? Do you have a office and all of your patients come to you? Or do you go to their homes and work with them? Or uh, how does that work out? I've actually done it both ways. I used to have a, an office out of um, a multi-discipline vision practice. There were ophthalmologists, opt uh, optometrists, and, you know, some specialists there. And I would have them, you know, I'd have my patients come and see me there. But I realized that when it comes to vision, that makes it very, very difficult so when I ventured out and started my own practice, I actually now go into people's homes because then we can address the situation right then and there. I can look at how a strategy changes how someone's able to be independent or not immediately versus saying, okay, we'll go home and do this, that, or the other thing, and then come back and tell me how it went. Um, instead of saying, oh, well, he, there, you know, you can get these stickers and you can put it on your microwave so you can, you know, you can feel the buttons. Why not just be there and see what the microwave looks like instead of having to have them try to explain it to me. So in home is definitely the way to go and, and the way I prefer it. Wow. That's, that's wonderful. That is so wonderful. 
Now, so Vanessa, what? Um, oh, sorry, Dr. Billy, go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. I, I have a lot of questions, so go right ahead, Jesse. Okay. Um, I was just curious, like, what some of the like, if you use any special tools or like devices with your patients. I have a long list of things that I that I use. <laughs> uh, depending. <laughs> You know, depending on what the needs of the person I'm working with is will depend on what kind of resources I bring in. Sometimes I'll bring in um, various different magnifiers to see if you know, a, a device will be able to help someone. Um, other times I, I actually, instead of bump dots, I actually prefer like the 3D fabric paint because I can get so much more creative with it. And in uh, how we're marking things uh, to, to get, give that tactile feedback. And so I have, you know, a few bottles of different colors of 3D fabric paint so that if someone says, well, I need to, you know, I can't see the buttons on my microwave, then I bring over the fabric paint and we either put dots on it or we can make a square or whatever else, you know, is going to be helpful. Um, I also... Oh, wow. I also will bring in various resources. Um, so the, you know, different local resources, like I, you know, if I need to refer to a different doctor or if there's a mobile practice that can come in and see them. Um, because if I have a, a patient, let's say, for example, who can't cut their toenails because they can't see, but they also can't get to a podiatrist office. Well, there's a mobile, there's a mobile podiatrist in the Valley and I can refer them to them. Um, so sometimes it's just knowledge in my head that I bring in and, um, I'll also, if I can find free resources that are available, like, um, like bold lined paper, I'll actually make a couple of copies of what I can print off of the internet and bring that, you know, little things like that in, um, for, for people. And sometimes I'll just give it to them, um, so that they have something and then I can show them where they can order additional things or, or, or things like that. So did all of these tools and like little tips and tricks that you use, like even like, you know, something simple like fabric paint, you know, that's something that you know I wouldn't necessarily think of right off the top of my head. Um, did you have to like learn these things as, as you went and found out what people's needs were and then kind of come up with these creative solutions and tools to help them out? Yes and no. Um, that's the one thing about occupational therapy is one of the core things that we learn about in school is something called task analysis. So we take a specific activity and we break it down into the individual steps. And then we have to think outside of the box to be able to say, okay, well, if I have this impairment or this impairment, how else can I do the same thing and still be independent? How can I put toothpaste on a toothbrush if I only have one arm that works or if I can't see the toothbrush and we have to kind of, you know, a lot of it is breaking down that simple task where, you know, the average person, you don't even think about it. You're doing it every day until something happens and then life changes. So that's part of our training. That's just, I think to me is ingrained into what I do and it doesn't, it do, I don't think about it anymore as, Oh, how do I break that task down? I just kind of do it automatically. Um, and then I think I forgot. Oh, that's the a good one. skill to have. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then, you know, some of the different t tips and tricks, I have done a lot of 
um, continuing education courses and I've gone to like the Envision course, uh, conferences. So it's a constant learning uh, environment within low vision. Uh, I learn from the doctors and, and everything else. And quite honestly, I'll learn from my patients as well. Uh, sometimes they'll tell me how they do something and I'm like, oh, I never thought of it that way. I'm going to steal that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and so sometimes my patients are my best resources. I bet. Wow. That's, that's pretty cool. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Now, do you actually uh, take with you different types of assistive technology, such as the closed circuit television video magnifiers or the iPhones with the voiceover and such? I do. Um, I usually won't bring in an iPhone with voiceover. It would be that if a, the person I'm working with already has a cell phone, then I will educate them how to use that technology. Um, but if it is like another device, like a CCTV or um, a magnifier of some kind, uh, I will bring that in. I've actually uh, been able to get connected with, with a few local resources here in Arizona where I can borrow equipment so that I can demonstrate it to my patients and see if it's something that they will benefit from. Um, that's That was one of the – I actually even have um, – I, I can order things from like Eschenbach and Humanware and um, Optilec as well, because I I realized a lot of people were buying magnifiers and other equipment and then were never given any training on how to use them. So, it, you know, I'll, if I can borrow it and demonstrate it, then we do that. And then if it's something they really want, then I can help them order it. And then I teach them how to use it as part of our therapy. You know, that is fantastic. I mean, isn't that really appalling to think that uh, the optometrist, the ophthalmologist, they might give somebody a, a magnifier, but they don't teach them how to use it. It and is. It happens all the time. All the it, time. Yeah, it unfortunately does. People spend hundreds of dollars on something that ends up sitting in their drawer because they and they say, well, it doesn't work for me. Um, so if I actually have someone who has equipment already and they say it doesn't work for me, I will have, we'll test it out together and I'll, you know, and we'll find out whether it's their vision's gotten worse and truly it doesn't work for them anymore, or it doesn't work because no one taught them how to use it and they just need to be shown. Now in Arizona, um, Excuse me. In Arizona, are occupational therapy services covered by insurance? Say that a, a person might have Medicaid or maybe that they have Medicare. Are those services paid for by any of these insurances? Yes. Occupational therapy is um, an, a Medicare covered um, service. So, it, you know, depending on what the insurance is will we'll depend on whether there's any kind of out-of-pocket expense. But a lot of the people that I work with, they'll have Medicare, excuse me, and then a secondary. So they end up paying nothing out-of-pocket for me to come and work with them. And, and that's, is it, is, that'll be is, the same in any other state as well. Is there a, a limit as to how many times that you can go to the client's home and help them? 
uh, on the positive, Medicare last year took away what they call their therapy cap. So they used to have it to where there's a certain dollar amount that people could have before Medicare really started scrutinizing um, what they would reimburse. And they took away that cap last year. So this year there really isn't a limit um, to, to what people can have service-wise as long as me as the therapist prove that it's medically necessary um, so that we're not taking advantage of Medicare dollars. Wow, that, that's very fair. Uh, but I will say I have, I think in the, the four, what is it, two or th- about the three years that I've had a, a direct private practice, I don't think I've had a, a patient that I've worked with that I saw more than 12 visits. Oh, wow. Really? Mm-hmm. So how do you meet your patients? Do they get referred to you once they like go to the, another doctor or how does that work? It usually is a referral from, uh, we have, do have a couple low vision optometrists here in Arizona and I've received referrals from them. Um, I still have uh, some doctors that will refer to me from the multidiscipline practice that I uh, used to work at. And I've actually had several patients self-refer themselves. I even had um, a wife of a patient of mine hunt me down on social media to, to, oh, wow. to get a hold of me. <laughs> she ended up emailing me on LinkedIn and said that, you know, she was hoping that we were the answer to her prayers. Oh, wow. Well, you so this- know, um, Jesse, Jesse and I, we both live in, in the Los Angeles area. Any plans of you moving to Los Angeles? Unfortunately <laughs> not, <laughs> but <laughs> I might know a therapist that lives in California. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what I'd like to do is open it up to questions. We have a very large audience this evening, and uh, – I don't want to take too much of the doctor's time, but if people have questions, if they could uh, raise their hand. And I believe that is Alt-Y. Well, yes. Um, so <clears throat> here's my question. What is the difference between your job and say, um, so I've been blind all my life and I was born and raised in the state of Texas. And so, when I became uh, a decent age and um, an independent living skills instructor would come and and do essentially what you're doing um, in a lot of ways, like, you know, come to my home and tell me, you know, the, the fabric paint, you know, she did that when I was a little girl for the dryer so I can use the dryer independently, um, different things like that. So what exactly is the difference between what you do and say what, they used to be when I was a kid. And, well, and Kathy, those those people still exist. Usually they have a certification. It's called a certified low vision therapist or a certified low vision specialist. I can't remember the, the acronym right off the top of my head. Um, but the biggest difference is that their services are not billable or reimbursable through insurance. Um, they're not considered a skilled service which is 
more logistics than anything else. So anyone who has that kind of certification can only go, usually they have jobs through like state funded resources. And unfortunately, our states do not have enough funding to help provide all the services that are needed for everyone. Um, so those jobs are, are pretty limited and how many people they're able to service are limited. Um, but the, the world of low vision is huge and more resources and more payer sources are needed. Um, that makes sense. <laughs> so there's a lot of similarities in what we do, and it's just a matter of how much education and training that we have uh, to do the job. Yeah, hi. Um, well, she just answered my, my question because that was going to be my question as to what the difference is between a rehabilitation teacher and a uh, um, an occupational therapist. But the other thing I wanted to mention is that if it all goes well, American Council of the Blind is having its convention in Phoenix next July. Oh, so wow. you may want to catch us there and uh, tell us about your services there. Maybe there would be a lot of people there who'd like to know more about what you do. Yeah, that would be wonderful. Thank you for letting me know. is Colleen from Ohio. I was wondering, is this something that is going to be widespread taught, taught? because um, I had surgery four years ago and I lost most of my eyesight due to a stroke from the surgery. And I did have an OT and a PT and a speech therapist when I was in rehab, but none of them understood this vision thing. And they would give me regular sized print and all that, and it would be so helpful if more people were aware of this and how to treat it, because it it was very hard and very confusing, especially when I did OT. I learned nothing about, you know, measuring cups or measuring spoons, none of that stuff. Mm. And it would be so nice if more people were trained like that. Is there a way that you can get the word out? I actually am doing the best I can. I actually guest lecture at a lot of the local colleges here in Arizona for occupational therapists and occupational therapy assistants. Um, and it is becoming a more commonly talked about subject at our national conferences as well. Um, so we are, those of us who practice in low vision definitely want to get the word out more. It just is not as quickly as we would like. Okay, thank you. I have a question. Okay, my question is, what is the difference between a regular occupational therapist and what you do? I have more training in vision. <laughs> That's really about it. Um, okay. a, lot of, a lot of my training uh, that I have done has been after I graduated with my, my master's in occupational therapy, they give very little training in school about low vision. And I think that they should do more than what they do because we do come across it a lot. Um, but those who specialize in, in low vision, it's all, it's all post-graduation. Okay. Be the reason I'm asking this question is I'm getting occupational therapy and the woman is just putting her fingers up and she goes, well, how many fingers do I have up? And 
you know, she's asking me, well, how many fingers do I have up? And, oh, okay, you have a lot, uh, you have pretty good vision. And I'm just thinking, uh, there's a little more to it than that. There's a lot more to it than that. Oh my. <laughs> yeah. Give her my email. Tell her to email me. <laughs> I don't know your email. I'll make sure you guys have that by the end of the phone call. Okay. Yes, doctor, uh, I'm up here in Wyoming, north of you, and we've got a state agency that has low vision specialists, well, or consultants that work for them. And then we have a nonprofit organization within the state that uh, has specialists. They call their people specialists. And they both do a lot of the things that you do. Uh, but what I'm interested in is, because uh, I've not ever heard of a low vision therapist, do you, I guess that's the, uh, would you or someone with your skills or your credentials, would you be a person that would be interested in going to a job site and helping a blind person like myself work through what it would take to learn and uh, hold a job, you know, with a local business. I think that would be a wonderful thing to do. Have you done that? I haven't directly done that. I have, I have worked with someone who ended up having um, a vision issue yeah. post-surgery that his goal was to go back to work. So yeah. we were working on finding uh, like appropriate adaptive um, and assistive technology for him to be able to go back to work and do his job there. Right. Um, right. I didn't end up going on site, but that would definitely be something I'd be willing to, that I would be willing to do. And hopefully another occupational therapist would be willing to do the same thing. I'm just trying to sort out the differences between what you do and what these specialists and consultants do and have done for me and others. And, Mm-hmm. And I've been on my little low vision journey for 40 years and yeah. I figured out a lot of this myself and you kind of touched on that earlier, but uh, there's a lot of things that you can figure out yourself. And, and, but this business of trying to secure employment, which is a big deal with low vision and blind people, you know, across the country, I'm yeah. just interested or can, interested in if that'd be something that someone with your credentials would be interested in doing. Yes. And there are a lot of occupational therapists, um, even not considering the low vision aspect of it that actually work directly for companies um, and kind of help set up workstations for things like ergonomics and, um, you know, being able to help with those kinds of accommodations so adding low vision to that is something that they should be able to do um, easily. It may take a little extra work on their part behind the scenes, but um, being able to find adaptive and accommodations to be able to maintain a job as part of occupational therapy. I, I think, say, uh, the skills that you have and then a certain company's willingness to um, provide, uh, what would you, what's the term, reasonable accommodations Yes. Uh, uh, that would make a good, uh, that would be a good pairing of skills. Yes, I very much agree. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Okay. 
Well, I also just want to reemphasize to all of you the one feature that really makes Dr. Lauren different than other occupational therapists is that she is a doctor of occupational therapy. Most occupational therapists do not have a doctorate. So that that is really one of the biggest differences between uh, teachers for the visually impaired or low vision rehab teachers. So if you are in need of somebody of a very, very high level qualifications, Dr. Lauren is the person there. And you want to give us your, your contact information? Uh, my email address is the best way to get a hold of me. And that is low vision a Z for Arizona at gmail.com. Okay, one more time, please. Sure, it's low vision a Z at gmail.com. And that's all one word. Um, do you also have a social media presence? I do. Right now it's pretty quiet because of um, all the COVID quarantine and, and virus concerns. Um, I have put my practice on hold. So it's pretty quiet there, but I do have a Facebook account and uh, an Instagram account. And they should both um, be under, I think, either Low Vision AZ or Vision Independent Services of Arizona. Okay, perfect. Thank you. Yes, can you hear me? Yes. Yes, um, go right ahead, Edward. Do you ever run into individuals of low vision who are struggling to keep track of their schedule on a calendar? Yes. Um, and a lot of times we end up using technology to be able to, to keep track of the schedule. Um, because with, you know, things like cell phones and Alexa, you can have her set reminders um, to be able to set up appointments for you. And a lot of those things, you can use voice command to be able to, to set up those reminders and appointments versus trying to look at a paper calendar. Um, there are several low vision calendars out there where it's more bold print. Uh, as well, but a lot of those are still, depending on what how busy your schedule is, it's going to be hard to keep track of things that way. Um, I did actually, I worked with a, a lady, uh, she lived in an assisted living, um, in, she was on the independent side, but a, like a retirement senior community here in Arizona, and that was one of her biggest things. If she was brand new to the community, and she was uh, trying to experience all the different activities that they had available for their residents there, but she was having a really hard time keeping track of everything. So we actually worked on her being able to implement putting her entire schedule on an iPad and set reminders for different things that were important, like doctor's appointments or, you know, if different activities that were must-haves, and it would then alert her um, with an audio chime to let her know that she had those appointments coming up. Okay, one more time. It's lowvision at gmail.com. Lowvision AZ. AZ like oh, AZ. AZ? Yes. Okay. AZ. Okay. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. 
Anybody have a last question? We could maybe take one more question. I have one more question. Hello? Go for it, Tom. Okay, I'm sorry. Doctor, I mean, this is just a question out of the blue. Do you think you could teach a blind person how to mow their lawn? <laughs> hmm. I mean, that may sound like it may sound like a trick question, but I can do all of our yard stuff, but my wife has to do the mowing because, of course, I can't see where I'm going. So, do you have any, <laughs> have any tricks, tricks that you could tell me about mowing the lawn? Um, I would say probably use the same tricks for scanning to find something where you you got to start at one end and you just try to keep going for a, from a left to right, top to bottom pattern. Um, how big is the lawn? Oh, it's a small lawn, but it's still just a lawn. And so yeah. what you just said, uh, that works maybe for maybe one or two passes from one edge. But when you get out in the middle, Nah, don't work. Yeah, I I would think there there probably you have to be some kind of markers that helps you keep yeah. track of it, yeah, or maybe switch to a smaller hedger so you can see see where you're going. <laughs> I'm just throwing that out, doctor. I mean, there's a challenge for you, right? There. I know. If I come up with something, I'll let you know. I'll have to tap into a couple other therapists, friends of mine, <laughs> where they worked with somebody in his his goal for therapy was to be able to ride his um, tractor. So uh -huh. teach him how to drive the tractor with some low vision. I don't see why we can't teach you how to mow a lawn. <laughs> well, I, I could still mow the lawn when I was low vision, but now I'm past that like Dr. Bill is. And mm -hmm. it's a little bit different when you're blind. And so I can, I can take care of the lawn mower and clean it and keep it running. But, yeah. but actually doing work with it, no, that's where it stops. Hey, well, Tom, what I did to solve that problem is I tore out my grass and I put in I put in artificial grass. I got you. <laughs> That's a popular thing here in Arizona too. We don't have anything. That's that a good idea, Doctor Bill. Yeah, I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. people in Arizona don't know what lawns are, kind of. That's about right, Doctor. Isn't I, exactly. That's why I really can't answer your question yeah. very well. I don't have a lawn. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can work on the sprinkler system and the pump and the mower and all that stuff, but I can't do the mowing. So. Well, you come over and fix my sprinkler, and I'll come mow your lawn. I do. <laughs> I do that in a heartbeat. <laughs> sprinkler a little service trade. <laughs> uh, so thank you. Oh, and also thank you for your service to the country. Oh, thank you. Yes, absolutely. We want to. We want to thank you for your time that you spent explaining this to all of us this evening. You're an outstanding speaker. You speak very clearly to make it very easy to understand. And, and we just hope that in the future there'll be more occupational therapists who follow your path. I so, love that as well. So, again, thank you very, very much. Good night, everybody. Good night.